Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes. And Steve, I was talking up Scott Walker when Scott Walker wasn't cool, which, let's face it, it's pretty much any time you're talking Scott Walker. I mean, <laughs> cool is not the word to describe swinging Scott Walker. I think that's probably fair. I think he, he would probably respond the same way. Um, yeah, it's been very interesting to watch his progress over the last several weeks, and you've had national media figures declare they're, they're surprised that Scott Walker is actually looks like he's going to be a serious presidential contender. Uh, you know, For me, the question wasn't whether Scott Walker would end up as a Tier 1 presidential candidate. Uh, it's, it's when he would end up as a Tier 1 presidential candidate and whether he'd be able to sustain that. We now know the answer to the first question is now. Now and uh, I think we'll see uh, the answer to the second question: how how we can sustain it. Well, for people who aren't familiar with Scott Walker, in other words, ninety-seven point five percent of the American public outside of right. Wisconsin, briefly the background, starting with the fact, and I think this is so powerful: the first Republican county executive in, where in, for Milwaukee. That to me is just a huge tell about Scott Walker. Well, and it's interesting because it, it not only informs uh, sort of how he's governed as as uh, Wisconsin's governor, but it also, I think, talks a little bit about his ability to sell himself to sort of non-Republican audiences. Uh, Walker came to office in Milwaukee, county executive office, in a special election following a pension scandal. And it was, it was one of these scandals that you think could only be made up by Hollywood and even then would seem implausible where you had, uh, you know, Milwaukee uh, county executives voting themselves huge, like six and seven figure dollar raises uh, in the middle of the night. I mean, it was horrible. It got a ton of attention when Walker came in. And his pledge when he ran basically was, I'm going to clean this all up. And he came into office, one, uh, as you say, one in Milwaukee County, which is um, a very blue county, bluest county in Wisconsin other than Dane County, which is home to Madison. And he came into office and went about promptly cleaning it up and made a fair amount of progress, but ran into some uh, challenges, some problems when he tried to make real reforms to how spending took place. And the problems came as a result of public sector unions. So Scott Walker, when he was elected governor, eventually decided that he was going to take on public sector unions and try to reform the way that uh, spending happens at the state level uh, in such a way that would allow him to make these reforms and, and give school districts and others more autonomy. So in many ways, you're correct to point out that his legacy is really in Milwaukee County, and it's shaped the way that he's uh, handled himself both politically and in terms of policy ever since. You know, a lot of people remember uh, George W. Bush running with a uh, narrow but consistent lead over Al Gore in 2000 for the popular vote and then losing the popular vote because in part of a you know, shocking reveal that he had had you know, a drunk, uh, DUI back in Maine you know, decades earlier. Any danger of a shock like that for, from Scott Walker? I mean, look, you're always a little reluctant to say, to say something because, you know, a lot of people have done things that they later regretted when they uh, became adults or when they ran for office. But I'd be surprised. Uh, I mean, I think Walker's pretty buttoned down kind of guy. That's not to, to say that you can't sit across from the table from him and have a beer. Uh, you can. But, uh, you know, he, he doesn't strike me as the kind who was who was into serious partying uh, when, he was, when he was younger. But I guess uh, the, I, think, the, the, I was trying to lead you actually into to a conversation about the fact that he's run three times in four years 
Oh, right. The unions just throw everything at him. I mean, I, I, I thought I, you were I'm trying not, to lead me into confessions about myself. Exactly. And that. <laughs> and the fact there's that. There's a you, reason I don't run for office. Exactly. You and Scott Walker <laughs> under a table at a bar uh, surrounded by empty Line and Kugel <laughs> bottles singing the Horse Vessel song. But anyway, no, I mean, this is a concern you have with a guy who's kind of an unknown, hasn't been on the national stage. We've seen what happened with Rick Perry when he popped up on the national stage. But uh, Scott Walker has gotten about as good a state-level audition for president as you can get, I think. No question. I mean, look at the recall election. That was effectively a national election, just in terms of funding and in terms of uh, union attacks on Scott Walker. He is, is, you know, he's been investigated twice now as governor in these so-called John Doe probes, which means that basically prosecutors can come after him and, and not have to disclose anything to the public. These are very secretive investigations. And they, you know, they, they, some of his staffers ran into trouble, uh, Walker staffers for uh, doing campaign work on government time but i mean you know all of his emails have been gone through he's they've interviewed tons of people who are close to the guy and really didn't come up with anything at all that would be disqualifying or cause him any problems and you've now had judges uh, shut down these investigations so i think he's he's had a pretty thorough vetting it's nothing like a presidential level vetting because nothing is like a presidential level vetting but you know of anyone he's been been probably been through it just as as much as as any of the Republican candidates. And there was an interesting chart in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel not not long ago that uh, suggests that Scott Walker has run for office and won more elections than any prospective Republican presidential candidate. Uh, The two uh, pillars of the conversations I have with Republicans, they ask two questions. Number one, uh, establishment or conservative? And number two, can he win? And I think that first question has put us at odds at the second question sometimes, Steve, because the two factions are fighting. And I've been taken aback, I'll be honest with you. I've had some talks, to, conversations about Scott Walker to some Jeb Bush or Je- Mitt Jeb-leaning people. And their reaction is, no, we've got to have, you know, the establishment guy. We've got to. It's the only way to win. Well, that's painfully inaccurate based on recent history. But it's also, what, why wouldn't Scott Walker be acceptable to both the grassroots and the establishment guys, and why can't the two sides see that, whether it's about a Scott Walker or a Marco Rubio or anywhere else, and get behind him and, you know, let's do something smart for a change? Well, I, th- I think that what we'll end up seeing is that Scott Walker is somebody who's acceptable to both. I mean, I think there are candidates, prospective candidates, who, who are very obviously acceptable to one or other of those groups. I think Chris Christie is the establishment type. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney, if he were to run, would have been the establishment type. On the other hand, you've got Rand Paul or Ted Cruz. Those are obviously people who are going to appeal to conservatives, the base, the grassroots, um, in, a, in a way that, that, that they won't to the establishment. I think one of the strengths of a potential Walker candidacy, and I think there will be a Walker candidacy, is that he can he can pull from both of those camps. And I think you could also point to somebody like a Mike Pence, if he were to run, certainly to Marco Rubio, if he were to run, those are people who are likely to get support from, from both of those camps. And, and I think that's, in all likelihood, this year, the most likely combination to, to produce a successful Republican nominee. Okay, I want to talk about something no one cares about at all, which is actual policy. <laughs> so what <laughs> what is a Walker Republican? What would the Walker doctrine be? And how does Walker fit in, do you think, with the mood of the Republican Party today after the up and down cycles since 2008? 
Well, I, th- I think he would be a sort of bold reformer. What was interesting, if you go back to the 2012 election, even before Mitt Romney uh, lost to Barack Obama, you had Scott Walker saying, and saying publicly, that he thought Romney should sort of embrace bolder policy prescriptions uh, for the country and, and to, to help him as he ran against Barack Obama. Romney really didn't do this. I mean, he had a moment, I think, when he picked Paul Ryan, but he picked Paul Ryan, and then you had Romney, top Romney campaign officials telling Ryan not to talk about Medicare reform. So Romney really didn't embrace that kind of bold agenda. And I think if you, what, what we're going to see from Scott Walker is an embrace of that bold agenda. I mean, you know, what he did in Wisconsin, he will say, he can do the kinds of things uh, that he did in the state. He can do them nationally. And I think that's likely to be a pretty attractive sales pitch to, to, again, to conservatives and establishment types, in part because, you know, Walker comes in with a $3.6 billion biennial deficit, and it's gone in two years, despite the fact that there was a recall. So he can run and say, I, I embrace big reforms. I would reform entitlements at a national level. Um, you know, I'm a tax cutter. I would do all of these things that sort of get conservatives excited, that get the country on the right path. And he can point back to his time as governor and say, I said I would do them, and I did them, and they worked. Uh, one last question for you. There's the, the uh, strongest argument I've heard against Scott Walker is you've got to have a celebrity to run against Hillary Clinton because the, Clinton is not going to run on any policy or any nothing. It's just going to be, as Charles, Kraut, Charles Krauthammer said, I thought brilliantly, uh, Hillaryism, just voting for the Hillary. Uh, Scott Walker, I know he, that people were excited about the fact that he had some speech and I mean some fire in his speech recently in Iowa, but can he do it? Do you buy the argument that you need a celebrity to take on a celebrity? Does the Republican have any celebrities on its bench? It's got a lot of proven leaders who are popular in their home states, but what about celebrities? I don't think you need a celebrity. In fact, one could make a case, I'm not sure I believe it entirely, but one could make a case that what Republicans need if Hillary Clinton is in fact the Democratic nominee is an anti-celebrity. Somebody who projects sort of serious and sober, not, not so serious that they can't you know, make fun of themselves or that they, that they never smile or that they can't give a speech or they can't do a, a late night comedy show, uh, but you know, somebody who's not sort of obsessed with celebrity or, or likes to see him or herself in the, in the limelight. I mean, one candidate right now who's getting a lot of negative attention for sort of celebrity, I would say, is Chris Christie. I mean, he goes to, to sit in Jerry Jones's box. He gets all these pictures taken of him, and there's the embarrassing hug, and you're seeing these kinds of, of things come up about Chris Christie. There was a New York Times article about his sort of taste for the lavish um, nobody's going to write that piece about Scott Walker. But at the same time, I think Walker has something of an advantage, particularly when it comes to the national media. There has been the sense that Walker was kind of the second coming of Tim Pawlenty, which would mean boring and staid and unexciting. And I think Rock Walker uh, greatly benefited from that perception, I would say misperception, with this Iowa speech that's gotten so much attention. He gives this speech. Um, he actually you know, has a pulse. He gives it a pretty impassioned speech. I thought it was a very good speech. I didn't think I've seen him give better speeches, but it was a very good speech. And he comes out of that and the national press is sort of wowed that this guy is not really boring and not Tim Pawlenty. And he then, you know, that then becomes the subject of talk radio in, in Iowa for the next week. And he no doubt got a considerable bump coming out of that because he was more exciting than people expected him to be. Okay, I lied. One last, last question, which is, 
You're, I mean, you're in D.C. I got to, and I'll probably ask this a hundred times on these podcasts. Please tell me that the donor class or the big money guys, whatever you want to call the group of people who shoved, you know, doles and bushes and McCain's down our throats. Please tell me that they get that the Republican voters simply will not accept Jeb. They just won't accept another Bush. They won't do it. And even if they would, the American people are. That, that that's an unnecessary anchor to have around your nominee's neck when you've got so many as you I mean go through the list of the Kasichs and the Walkers and the you know Rubios whatever it's not that we have a shortage of talent why would we do that does Washington just not hear that or do they think oh the Americans are morons and they'll eat whatever dog food we give them no I mean it, it's an interesting way of, of, of framing it I, I can't give you the assurances that you're seeking oh. because it's there's no doubt that the donor class does favor Jeb Bush. I mean, I think Chris Christie will will pull in a, some money from Republican donors. Scott Walker will pull in money from Republican donors. Marco Rubio, if he runs, and I think he probably will, will pull in money from Republican donors. But you know, I think Jeb will be the favorite. He'll have he'll have funding um, from the Republican establishment that that none of the other candidates will likely be able to match. Um, and I don't think that that the Republican base is is welcoming Jeb with open arms, as you suggest. Having said that, I think Jeb's going to prove to be a better candidate than a lot of conservatives think. I don't think he's the front runner in a way that the sort of Washington media establishment in Washington does. But I also don't think he's going to be sort of the next coming of Mitt Romney, which a lot of my conservatives friends would argue. And I say that because Jeb Bush, now certainly when we listen to Jeb Bush and when we hear him talk about policy, particularly over the past several years, he's been talking about common core and immigration issues that put him at odds with the Republican base and where he has a tendency sometimes to be sort of lecturing and scolding. And he seems to hold people who disagree with him on those issues uh, at some level of disdain for, for opposing views. But I think in other areas, Jeb Bush was a conservative. I mean, he was a conservative governor. If you go back to when he left office in 2007, he was you know, sort of the, the first in a wave of reformist conservative governors. And he'll be able to speak about issues in such a way that, that gives him – he's a visceral conservative. He is in some ways a movement conservative, an ideas conservative in ways that Mitt Romney never was. So you had Romney trying to – you know, sit down with focus groups and talk to his consultants about how to sound more like a conservative. Sometimes successfully, as when he gave a, a speech at a Tea Party event in Michigan, and, and other times, like his his ill-fated CPAC speech, where he described himself as a severe conservative, he didn't pull pull it off. I don't think Jeb's likely to make those mistakes. I mean, I think he's a serious guy, a serious voter. I think that the the other issue that you raise about you know, whether the country will will want another Bush that those are real issues. Certainly, if he runs against Hillary Clinton, I think it takes an argument away from Republicans who can say that sort of old school leadership, old politics, we want something new. All That'll be a challenge for him. Steve Hayes, all the American people are saying is we'll take any, after eight years of the fiasco of Obama, after eight years of this embarrassing roller coaster, after we admit it, we elected a guy out of emotion, we elected a guy for history, and it was a mistake. All you got to do is don't send us a bush. That's all America's saying, <laughs> and we are on the verge of doing the one thing that will guarantee we can't win. What do we think? Just say, but Jeb, hey, wait, you know, eight years from now, you're still a relatively young guy. Relax. I don't uh, think it'll guarantee. I don't think it'll guarantee that Republicans can't win. I really don't. I mean, I think I think it's a challenge. I think his bigger challenge is going to be in the context of a Republican primary. You know, he has already said he wants to run in the Republican primary as if it's a general election campaign. Right. 
if he does that, I think I think it's unlikely that he'll get the Republican nomination exactly. because there will be a sort of this air of entitlement. Yeah. Um, not only will he run to the sort of left to the center on issues if he if he actually follows through on that, but there will be this air of entitlement, and people aren't people don't like that. Whatever whatever people might think of Jeb Bush or another Bush, they don't want somebody who thinks he's entitled to it. Well, we've had enough Republican nom- you know, nominees who didn't like Republicans. We tried that with. <laughs> with McCain big time he never liked Republicans you know W had to be a compassionate conservative because the regular kind weren't good enough for him Romney never picked the team he was just out there you know in the flip-flopping around the Romney I think I think we've done enough with trying to give the nomination to people who don't like us the grassroots base is never going to go along with it and the American people they're saying what Jesse Jackson said stay out to bushes so uh, that's why I'm excited about the Walkers and the Kasichs and the Rubios and the Jindals and the many acceptable good solid conservatives who don't have a branded B on their chest that's well here's where so here's where we agree I I mean again think if you took a poll of the Washington influencers let's say the 500 journalists uh, producers, et cetera, in Washington, D.C., who will be covering the 2016 presidential election, uh, you would have an overwhelming number of that group, 80, 85 percent, say that Jeb Bush is the clear front runner and the prohibitive favorite to give the acceptance speech at the Republican National Convention uh, in July in Cleveland. I don't think that's the case. I think that, the, the, you know, if I'm putting my money on this, uh, I, I would bet on Walker and Rubio before I bet on Jeb, but I would say Jeb is you know, the third most likely and, and certainly a contender. And I think he'll surprise some conservatives who are thinking of him as sort of the next coming of Mitt Romney. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.